wrapping up the day's sporting issues deep into the night. This is Extra Time on SENZ. Yes, I'm back. Uh, Ricardo Ball back with you on Extra Time. Uh, just gone 7 o'clock. Thanks, uh, Ben Francis, for the lead in music. I believe that's going to be our theme tonight, is it? Yeah, well, the fact Ricardo's back, songs with back in the title, so it's a bit of a simple one tonight, but mm. yeah, welcome back. Some would say that that goes hand in hand, me, me back and having something simple to, to, to ingest <laughs> uh, would go hand in hand, but boys are back in town. Yeah, first time I've uh, been back, I'm, I was trying to remember, and I think you've summed it up quite nicely here, Ben. Uh, last time I was on Extra Time, uh, Ronaldo was still at Manchester United, Eddie Jones was coaching England, and Elon Musk didn't own Twitter. What a stat bomb that is. Yeah, it's, that's how long it's been. It's been a very, very long time. I had to dig very deep into the archives, <laughs> and it was early October. So You've done a great job. Thank You've done you. a great job on that stat bomb. That's a great stat bomb. Uh, coming up tonight on the show, uh, we're actually going to cross to Melbourne shortly, catch up with our mate Dave Worsley. Uh, Worsley's over there covering uh, the Australian Open, of course. There's been a few upsets already. Big question mark too over whether or not we're going to see Novak Djokovic play. He's due to play tonight. He has cancelled a couple of practices and the word in amongst uh, a bunch of Serbian papers uh, at Serbian journals is that he's actually done a hammy uh, and that's why. So they were expecting him to pull out much like Nick Kyrgios did. So we'll have to see whether or not that will happen, uh, that will happen later on tonight. And, of course, we have live coverage of the Australian Open right here on SENZ for you from 9 o'clock. Before then, though, we'll hear from Wurzel. We'll talk Australian Open with him. We'll talk uh, the Aussie battler, Jordan Thompson. He's one of my all, all of a sudden one of my favourite tennis players uh, after today. We'll get more into that. We'll also catch up uh, with Ish Sodi. Uh, he is in India with the Black Caps. Uh, they've uh, put Pakistan away. Now they're going to try and do the same to India. We'll get Ish's take on uh, how that's all working, what he expects the conditions to be like versus Pakistan and the success that he had in Pakistan, how he, how he felt that went. Uh, we'll talk to him about that. We'll talk to uh, the mole, Tony Adams, uh, rugby league uh, royalty of course in terms of uh, journalism and he is going to give us a bit of a lowdown on where Stephen Crichton's going to go. We think it's going to be the dogs but we'll find out how much money do the dogs have uh, and uh, what else is happening, what other movements are happening a lot of speculation still on where Mitchell Moses is going to go. Is he going to stay at the Eels or will he go? The dogs, he's been linked to the dogs as well although boy they're going to have to have uh, the old salary sombrero rather than salary cap as he likes to say on if they're going to sign all of these players so we'll talk to him after 8 about that from a rugby league point of view we'll also uh, catch up with Daisy Cleverly she's part of the Football Fern squad that take on the double defending world champions they've won the last two world cups the United States women's team they are here for two games the first one of those is tomorrow in Wellington we'll catch up with Daisy Cleverly a little later on in the show as well and uh, see how that is all tracking for her and where she's at in her career, of course, uh, just playing 
for a Champions League club out of Denmark now. So uh, we'll get her a take on all of that. Plus your calls as well. We do have 0800 150 811 open, 0800 150 811. Uh, that is our phone line. You can get in touch any time. Uh, it is your show as much as it is mine. Or if you've got any thoughts you want to throw out there, double eight double three is the Temper Bedpost text machine. A reminder that uh, tonight it's all about me being back. So all the songs, uh, we're playing different songs out of every break. Uh, the theme is back, something with back in the title. We've had the boys are back in town. What else have you got for us? Uh, flick us a text through double eight double three. It's five past seven. When we come back, we're heading to Melbourne, catching up with Dave Worsley. Nine past seven here on SENZ. Ricardo Ball with you on Extra Time for the first time since October last year. So uh, that is why the theme of all our songs out of the breaks tonight is back. Songs with back in the title. We've had the boys are back in town. Back in black classic from ACDC. Just finished actually reading a book by a guy called Jesse Fink uh, called The Youngs. About the young brothers. Not just the two from ACDC but about their older brother George as well who was in the Easy Beats and produced a lot of their uh, early albums. I think their first five albums up to Power Age in fact. Uh, so uh, that is a good read. Can highly recommend it if you're a fan of music, uh, not just ACDC, but music in general. It's a really interesting read about that dynamic and how it works. Uh, Chris has sent us a text on double eight double three saying, mate, been a while since you've been back in your OG seat. What about Eminem? I'm back. Uh, can't say I'm a big Eminem fan, to be honest, Chris. And I and I don't mean to, I'm not bagging your choice there. I just don't know the song. So maybe, Ben, uh, can I defer to you? Is, is that something we're going to play? That's not something we're going to play. Okay. There you go. But uh, keep them coming through, Double eight, double three Suggestions for songs with back in the title. I'll tell you, a man who's back where he loves to be at this time of year is Dave Worsley. He is the tennis guru out of New Zealand, and he is in Melbourne at the moment for the Australian Open. G'day, Dave. How are you? Yeah, very good, thanks, uh, Ricardo. On a, um, well, relatively warm day here. In fact, I've gone outside just to be authentic, although someone's just put a cold gin in my hand, so that's okay. <laughs> I am... Uh, I am being authentic, and uh, there is matches back on the outside court. Yeah, now I, I wanted to get you on to talk about a few things. Uh, one of those, the Aussies doing so well um, after day one and, and into day two as well. But then I saw this story about games being suspended um, due to the heat, and the heat was. And I read that, and I went, "Oh, that's unusual. It must be really hot over there." And then I read it was thirty-six degrees, and I'm like, "That's not that hot, surely." And then I, I see the story about Jordan Thompson, the Aussie tennis player, who's complaining to the umpire, "Mate, I've played in hotter." Um, I've played in. He said, I've played here when it was forty-five degrees. He was telling the umpire. So why the change now? Well, Jordan Thompson is a bit of a character. To put it to mildly, I've uh, dealt with him quite a bit. Uh, he's got a decent ranking at the moment. He's uh, one of these guys who's grinded away. He's got the floppy mo. He's got the long hair. He just looks like your guy who's going to throw on the uh, the speedos and uh, walk on the beach in jandals and uh, away you go. He's just that sort of guy. Uh, with a few forexes in his hand, he's, he's really great entertainment. However, he was—he lost the first set in his match against JJ Wolf, the American, and was up three-one. So he got the break of serve. He just hit back with some form, and then they said, "No, it's going to be several hours, three hours, in fact, before you get back on court." And yeah, what he said was actually pretty true. It certainly didn't feel—it it felt hot. I mean, hey, I, I wouldn't like to go for a run there, um, but you know, it wasn't as bad as what it has been over the uh, number of years. But in 2019, the organisers put in a new heat rule because the old one was too complicated, so they put in something even more complicated because that's how it works here. <laughs> so can, can you tell us how it works, or is it? Uh, do, you, do I need to be Einstein to, to understand what you're going to tell me here? 
well, I, I just think you need to, um, you know, go to uh, what's the gobbledygook award or the uh, complete and utter garbage Britain award. Well, then you go to that, and pretty much that'll explain it. Now, what, what they're saying is a whole lot of different factors, and of course there is because heat is different. I mean, you can have the heat, but then you've also got the humidity, or you've got whether there's any wind or not, whether your court is really down low or more exposed. There's all sorts of different things there. Um, so, in other words, it affects different courts in a different way. And uh, that's where he's sort of saying, well, hang on, we're playing, we're okay. Neither of us is actually feeling sick or it, neither of us has gone to the umpire and said, hey, this is getting a bit tough. Um, the thing that, you know, wh- where I feel sorry for the tournament is not the players, but for the, offic- uh, for the fans. Mm. Imagine you've paid 50 bucks minimum for a ground pass or um, a huge amount more for a bigger pass. And then you're told, sorry, uh, go and find some shade. Oh, whoops. Oh, well, you'll just have to suffer and you you know go and drink more alcohol. That'd be great. be good for the bars. But the players get to go inside and have a massage or whatever they want. But most of the general public have to hide under trees or find some space, um, you know, just where they can. Well, because that's the other thing, I think, Dave. I mean, I've never been to the Australian Open, so I don't know if it's different to, say, going to the ASB Classic. But if you've got a ticket for the ASB Classic on Centre Court, for example, uh, or Grandstand Court... It, it's valid for a session, right? So, I mean, if they all of a sudden uh, down tools for three hours, is that your session done? Uh, well, like a ground pass is pretty much all good for all day or night. And there's lots of entertainment and, you know, there's so much other stuff to do if you're not really into tennis. It's like come along and have fun. Uh, drink a lot, entertain yourself or whatever. But even if you're not into spending a huge amount of money, there's a heap of courts to look at. Uh, the, at the ASB Classic, the rule is... If you get one hour's play, then you can't claim anything back. Whereas if you get a rained out day completely, uh, which is what happened uh, this year at the ASB Classic, you would have to get a refunded ticket. Mm. That's the way it works there. Uh, here is a bit different. I'm not sure. I think it's just like bad luck. There's enough other things to do, which there is. And plus, there's three courts that have a, a roof over the top as well. So, so, yeah, it is a bit different. Dave, we should also talk. I, I see uh, Thompson is back underway. It's 4-2 to him in the second set. Um, so so that's that's good news. But uh, some other news that we're waiting to hear about, um, it came out yesterday from some Serbian journalists that the reason that Novak Djokovic had cancelled a couple of practices is because he's got a hamstring issue. They were suggesting that he's going to pull out of the tournament and not play. He is due on court tonight. Have you heard any more? Uh, basically, every player seems to have had an injury as such. I mean, we had Nadal seeming to play with uh, one yesterday. We had uh, Badosa pull out uh, before the tournament. Obviously, Kyrgios yesterday. A lot of players are carrying injuries. Um, you know, every player starts the tournament with a bit of a niggle. It's uh, how you end. And if you can end the tournament, particularly with the trophy, then that niggle is pretty much uh, nondescript. So, yeah, there has been rumour about that because of... Uh, um, Djokovic pulling out of a couple of uh, sessions. We'll just have to wait and see. I, I, he loves this tournament. He's won it nine times, for goodness sake. He's going for a record of 10. He is still, to most people's mind, the favourite. I think he will play this first round. He's going to try it this first round. Then he gets you know, a day's rest in between. I think it'd be silly if he didn't actually try and play uh, the first round because then you can really see how bad it is or how good it is. You get, then get one day to rest up, so or one and a half days for him. So I, I, I think he will come out and play tonight. 
Okay, well, keep an eye on that, mate. Keep an eye on and see what happens there. I mean, that is the other worry, right? I mean, we're so uh, it's a new season. Uh, we're we're only in January. It's the first uh, slam of the season, and they've had what three tournaments? You know, if you include the ASB Classic, Adelaide, and and Sydney, I guess. Um, it's, is it a worry for you that we've got so many top players carrying injuries at this stage of a season, given they've just had an off season? Yeah, you've got to remember that off-season is really funny. I, I love it when players say, oh, we've got to shorten the season, it's too tough, it's too tough, and then go and play exhibitions all the play. You know, it's like, hang on, you just said it's too tough, but then you go and play an exhibition and goodness knows where. Oh, we'll just play that exhibition and Dubai holds an exhibition basically on Christmas Day. You know, oh, well, it's too tough, it's too tough. But hey, someone just offered me uh, 250k to go and play in Saudi Arabia, which they did. Uh, that was Kyrgios was there, Cam Nori was there, a whole lot of other players. Yeah, so I missed Christmas, but um, yeah, it was a really tough season, 250k richer. You know, so you know, play, players are always going to complain about how tough things are, how they got injured. You know, I, I guess the other thing is, for a lot of players, this may be their first real tough test. And for the men, playing the best of five in sometimes warm conditions, can actually take its toll. Mm. Yeah, we're just seeing actually uh, one of those players you meant, uh, we, you, I think you alluded to there, Andy Murray's not obviously ranked in this tournament. He's playing Matteo Bettatini. Uh, he has just uh, won his serve and he is up 5 4 in the fourth set. Uh, Berrettini to serve the next uh, game. So uh, Murray on the verge of potentially uh, breaking through, uh, knocking Berrettini out and getting through to the second round, which would be uh, interesting to see. But I've got to say, it's, it's been a very good tournament already uh, for the Australians, hasn't it, Dave? I mean, uh, so many Australians already through to round two, particularly in the men's side of things. Yeah, don't worry, they'll go in the next couple of days. Uh, <laughs> I'm just hanging out with the, with the Associated Press uh, journalists and they're like, yeah, yeah, don't worry, we'll be uh, fine, won't have to do too much uh, in the second week. Uh, <laughs> particularly with Kyrgios gone. Kyrgios gone, no uh, Ashley Barty as well. Uh, no uh, Elia Tomjanovic as well, she's out with injury. So yeah, there goes most of the big guns. They're gone already before the tournament's kind of started. Um, so you're left with the sort of Jordan Thompson and uh, was it uh, someone called Burrell who won her match. She's 700 in the world. She won her match as a qualifier or wild card or something like that. So yeah, don't expect them to last too long. Uh, what about, you know, the likes, because I was looking, you know, Jonathan Millman's been around forever. He's He won a five-setter against the Swiss player yesterday. We've also had a guy who I don't recognise his name, uh, Hijikata. Sounds like he's Japanese, but plays with an Australian flag. He uh, came from two sets down to win in five. And then uh, Kobler as well. So, I mean, that's three Aussies I doubt would have been expecting to be in the second round that are there. Yeah, well, um, Rinky, as they call him, Rinky Dinky, the other Aussie players. Um, yeah, he's... Uh, He's a decent uh, player. You know, last, late last night, the crowd was going wild on one of the outside courts and chanting, well, typical Aussie chants of oi, oi, oi. Uh, <laughs> so you had that. Um, it was very, you know, elaborate, I guess. You know, let's, let's really get something imaginative. Um, but, Mate, they you know, put four X's on their cans of beer because they can't spell beer. So what, what, I, don't, I think you're expecting uh, too much from them, Dave. No, not, not really. You know, um, it's, uh, you know, they'll do a Viking wave next because that's original. Um, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I'm going to get things thrown at me very shortly, uh, but that's okay. Uh, um, yeah, no, look, there's, there's a few. Look, it, it's in the second round that things get even tougher because you look at some of the second round matches. Just here you go. Here's one good second round match. It'll be tomorrow, and it's got to be played at night. It'll be Emma Raducanu against Coco Goff. Mm. That's going to go off because the British audience want that. The American audience want it. So that's going to be a night match, I'm sure. 
and what a cool second round match. Holy heck. That's a good one. That's yeah. only second round. So the second round, both men's and women's, is actually really, really tough. And that starts tomorrow along with the doubles, which will feature the Kiwis as well. Yeah. Well, on the doubles then, uh, I mean, you know, Jamie Murray and Michael Venus teeing up, uh, teaming up this season. Uh, does that excite you for the season to come? Yeah, it, it should be good. They actually had a really tough draw originally, but then it got changed. So they were up against um, Tim Putes, which was um, Venus's former partner, and Nicholas Mahout, who had won the tournament here about four years ago and about five tournaments at total, five Grand Slam tournaments. But then the uh, draw got changed. So now they're up against some lucky losers or uh, next alternate uh, players. So that's actually a much better draw for them. So that's good. Uh, they are the 11th seed. And then in the women's draw, Erin Routless with uh, Rosalska. And I think they're about the 14th seed or something like that. So they've got a reasonable draw, I think, in their first round. So hopefully we can see both pairs go through. Mm. Yeah, I mean, it was disappointing. I, we had Emma, uh, sorry, Erin uh, Routliff come into the studio uh, and, and have a chat with us on breakfast when I was on with... Uh, you Mitch, felt short? Well, yes, <laughs> with Mitch McClinigan a couple of weeks ago. And, you know, we, we talked to her about... She was picking up a doubles partner, uh, you know, sort of literally the day before the tournament uh, for the ASB Classic. And, you know, it was quite funny talking to her about that and not knowing who she was going to play with beyond the Australian Open, whereas you talk to Venus and he's like, I've got this locked in for the year. Um, So, yeah, it's interesting to see how they operate differently and disappointing, I guess, uh, for her at the ASB Classic in that she uh, went out first round in both doubles and singles. Yeah, that's right. I mean, you know, Erin... Doubles is still her specialty in that sense because, well, you know, it's got it to number 30 in the world. Got it to the quarterfinals at Wimbledon last year. Uh, didn't do anything for a ranking because there was no ranking points, which is just stupid. Uh, how Wimbledon, uh, you know, how tennis operates and uh, a lot of other sports operate. Maybe you're not allowed to bring in your Russian flag here. You're not allowed to have a Russian flag next to your name, even though you're born there, although you don't actually represent it or live there. So we just like to make things really easy in tennis, along with a whole lot of other stupid sports. Um, but yeah, I, I, she's up to 30. She is good enough now to get good partners. I think uh, Rosalska is okay, but not the partner she should have. She can, she deserves a better one. Uh, she still has a little bit of a glass arm sometimes, Erin, uh, with a few shots, but with her height, uh, as in six foot two, she should be fine and should be doing better. The good thing for her, and this is what I like, I've told her this, is that she's making a living now. You know, for so many years, you know, Mike Venus went through the same thing. They were skipping and scratching around trying to make a living. Now, hey, I just won, you know, $60,000. Or if, I think it's if you lose in the first round in doubles here, it's 60000 between them. No, maybe it's 30000 between the two of them. So, you know, you get fifteen k or whatever it is. That's, a, that's good. You make the second round, then you get about thirty k per person. That starts to get decent money. Make the third round. Well, there you go. You're away. Mm. And that's, it's just nice that you can now make a living. Yeah, totally. Uh, what about um, when the juniors kick in, mate? Are we going to see any Kiwis from here we should keep an eye on take part in the juniors? I mean, I've been excited to see uh, how Vivian Yang's progressed um, in the ITF side of things. Won that tournament in Wellington, still only 17. Yeah, well, Vivian's, uh, I think she's about five out from the main draw. So that may mean that she has to go through qualifying, which is real pain. Uh, she's playing at Tyrolgan at the moment. Lost in the first round of a third setter to a Bulgarian, so totally different style. Uh, she made the quarterfinals of the doubles there, so that's, that's decent. Uh, yeah, she's just outside the main draw, but she could get in if a few players pull out. It'd be nice to actually see her play. The, the, 
difficulty here at a Grand Slam playing for the juniors for their first time is they just end up in awe of how many people are around the court. Uh, just, oh, there's Djokovic walking down the hallway. Oh, my goodness, there's Nadal. There's, you know, Serena Williams in the past. And a lot of times it actually just phases us. I'm not sure Vivian Yang will be quite like that, but it, it, it is big time and it does freak them out. I've had a few Kiwi juniors who just said, oh, if I played that tournament again, I'd be so much better because walking down the hallways and seeing these stars and cameras and everything else is just pretty daunting. So uh, hopefully she can go. Now, there's also the other um, Kiwi player, and I'll just remember his name. He's a hyphenated player. Um, oh, gee. From Taranaki, who is about five out in the, in the boys' side. Um, so we'll have to remember his name in a second. It's uh, hyphenated. We'll get to there. He won the 18th champs uh, for New Zealand, so it's one of his first overseas tournaments. Uh, from the Naki originally. But, um, yeah, I'll come back to that one. <laughs> but, yeah, so there, there's potentially a couple that could make it in um, if there's a few pullouts directly rather than go through qualifying. Yeah, good stuff. All right, Dave. Hey, listen, we, we don't want that gin to get warm, mate, so we'll let you go. But thanks very much for coming on and having a chat, mate. And Enjoy the rest of the tournament. No doubt we'll talk to you again soon. Okay, no worries. All right, cheers for coming. Cheers. Uh, there we go. Dave Worsley, New Zealand. Uh, tennis guru over in Melbourne covering the Australian Open and uh, sounded like he's having a bit of fun there as well. It is uh, 7.25 here on SENZ. Uh, Andy Murray is uh, has just won uh, another game. He's up 6-5 against Berrettini. If he wins this set, he knocks Berrettini out. So Berrettini is uh, serving to stay alive next. And up next, actually, we go to India and we talk to Ish Sodi. It's going to be cricket. The Black Caps taking on India from tomorrow. It's just gone 7.30 here on SENZ Extra Time. Ricardo Ball back in the seat, and that is our theme for tonight, is songs with the word back in the title, uh, back on Extra Time for the first time since October. And, of course, October is when uh, Ish Sodi's birthday is. In fact, Ish Sodi's birthday is on Halloween, and he has been over in the subcontinent scaring the bejesus out of Pakistani batsmen, and now he joins us out of India. G'day, Ish. How are you? G'day, guys. Mate, how was uh, how was the uh, Karachi experience for you? But uh, a little bit unusual playing all the games at the one ground. Yeah, no, it's pretty good. Like, I mean, in saying that, being at the one place for a long time is pretty unique. But I guess from a spin bowling perspective, it's quite nice because the block just kept wearing out as the, as the tour went on. You got to love that, mate. You got to love that. How many how many times did you take unnecessary runs when you did have the bat in your hand just to scuff things up a bit outside a leg? <laughs> yeah, no, I actually got warned a few times when I was bowling to I was running down the wicket and I was like, am I doing that on purpose or is it just my instinct kicking in? Mate, you know, from a New Zealand fan point of view, it's just great to see a New Zealand test team with more than one spinner in it, of course. Uh, and, you know, we had uh, one of those tests in um, in Pakistan. I think it was the second test where we named three spinners and they only named one, which was which was really interesting. It's certainly, uh, certainly one for the ages. That How did you find the conditions? Yeah, it's... Um, definitely quite unique and uh, it was really exciting obviously to be part of a I guess a spin bowling unit from New Zealand going over to the subcontinent I guess you know territory that we probably haven't had before and and haven't had the luxury to be able to play you know three spinners at once uh, for a long time and I guess it was just a it was really really enjoyable to be out there with with guys that were super experienced like Ajaz and then you know a guy like Michael Brace who hasn't been bowling spin for a, a very long time in professional cricket and then and I was there sort of with a with a new run-up. So we were relatively inexperienced, but we definitely bounced off each other well. Yeah, uh, tell us about the new run-up, because this is something that uh, Gary Stead uh, told us about last year, you know, as to why you hadn't gone to that Chapel Hadley series, because you were working on something. Um, how's that new run-up changed for you, and what has it done for you? 
yeah, it was just like so I suppose towards the back end of last season, I felt like I, you know, I couldn't quite get the energy I wanted on the ball, and I remember sort of being in a net session with Kyle Jamison over the winter, and I just felt like he had too much time, and and I kind of like decided it was something I wanted to try out, um, running in and bowling, and it was something I wanted to do when I was really young, but sort of, you know, I sort of fell into that trap of trying to copy Warney, um, you know, like <laughs> probably what a lot of leggies did back in the day, and so. Um, I guess it's something that's probably a bit more authentic to me, you know, using my attributes, you know, reasonably tall, big guy, and and just trying to create a bit more presence at the crease, and and so that was a big part of what I tried to do last winter. Yeah, well, mate. So long as when you're, you know, sort of aping Warney, it's all about flight and guile, and not about the the B and H special filters and the forex. Oh, it's certainly um, changed now. I think, um, you know, spin bowling these days, as soon as you you operate with a bit of flight and guile, especially when you come from like six foot two, six mm. foot three, like I am. Um, you know, the ball can get a little bit floaty and up there, so it's more about sort of hitting the deck hard. Yeah, I mean, and the other thing is because you're running in faster to generate more pace and give the batsman less time, uh, what did that mean for you in terms of a training regime? Did you find that you, you you had to do more on the fitness side of things to be able to deliver that consistently? Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, I make no bones about it. I think like over the last wee while, having the lack of Red Bull cricket that I've had um, during that test series, it was certainly a bit of a wake-up call in terms of how much more um, I guess physically exerting it is. Uh, you know, I've, I've been walking in to bowl ever since I started bowling leagues when I was 12 years old. So, you know, it's 18 years of walking in and, you know, all of a sudden decided running in was the best option. And um, it's, it's certainly going to take a bit of time to understand what my body needs. But um, but it's, it's definitely been um, great to, I guess, see some results to show that it definitely is the way forward for me and uh, something I want to stick with for a long period of time. So that, that fitness regime becomes even more important. Yeah, and, and you went all right with the bat as well, mate, particularly that 65 that you scored. Um, you, you've certainly been able to tell the skip that he's, no, 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 skip, you, I'll, I'll get the pads on. You've got to wait. You've got to wait. <laughs> yeah, oh, well, you know, but I, I guess I, I reckon, you know, there's probably like a bit of an understanding there where like in white ball cricket, I think Tim's definitely got a better hit of me. Um, and, and hopefully in Red Bull cricket I can sort of nip him to bat a little bit higher. But now it was really good to, to spend some time out in the middle. Um, I had a really calm influence in Kane at the other end, and uh, I guess the pleasing thing for me was to, to be able to stick to a plan and a process for an extended period of time and um, and sort of contribute to to get us into a position that we could have won the Test match. And it's a shame we couldn't win the Test match, um, you know, the first one and the second one. I think we put ourselves in good positions, but I guess to come away with that ODI Series victory, you know, first one and in Pakistan since 1969 and, and first one in the subcontinent for a long time as well. I think it's just it's really pleasing to, to be able to go over there and achieve that. Now we're looking at uh, back-to-back series in the subcontinent. Of course, you've got the Indians um, coming up starting tomorrow. And I think, I, if I'm uh, correct, I think we've won eight and lost 35 ODIs in our time there in the history of the Black Caps touring India. Um, what's the difference that you've struck so far between, you know, conditions in Karachi and conditions in India? Oh, I just think that, you know, we're probably a lot more accepting these days that, you know, when we do come over to these conditions, we've got to do things slightly differently. Like, um, I guess in the ODI series, the two games that we won, uh, we played three spinners. I mean, oh, you know, I can't really look back in, in history and see when we've come over, even to the subcontinent, and played three three Kiwi spinners against, you know, teams that are, um, you know, very good at playing spin. So, so I guess now we've got the the guys to be able to fill those roles and you know that horses for courses thing really does work for us now we've got the depth um where india is slightly different you know i don't think the wickets are going to be uh generally as as sort of spin friendly i think they're going to be decent wickets um and probably offer a little bit more pace than what what we had in karachi so 
Um, we've definitely got the squad to be able to conquer those conditions, and, and we should take a lot of confidence out of you know beating a Pakistani side in their home conditions. And there's no reason why we can't put on a couple of good performances here too. Yeah, it's interesting you say that because I mean you know from the outside looking in, I think you know Pakistan, um, particularly of late, they, they've really found some good pace bowlers, and it almost felt like that they were relying on their pace rather than their spin. And so I, I guess I, I looked at it and thought, all right, well, it's going to be more pace-friendly conditions maybe in Pakistan than it will be in India. But you think it's probably going to be the other way around? Yeah, I mean, you know, the Karachi wickets in general, I think they were a little bit slower than perhaps a lot of us expected because, you know, again, like a lot of us grew up in that generation where, you know, a lot of the great Pakistani bowlers were fast bowlers and, you know, the conditions would somewhat suit them whether they'd be hard and fast or, you know, even skiddy. But... Um, they were definitely a lot, a lot more on the slower side than we expected, and and I think, yeah, as a whole, we adapted really quickly to those conditions, and and we were able to come away with a trophy, uh, you know, a hard-fought, drawn series, which, you know, you take it any other way, a game of inches, we could have won as well. So, um, the yeah, the big thing is coming over here now. I think, um, you know, the Indian Indian lineups a really strong lineup, uh, but we've got to take a lot of confidence into the way that we've been playing our our cricket recently, and. Um, you know, that too on the subcontinent. So um, I think it was great preparation for this tour. Um, so we can definitely bank on some of those experiences. Yeah, and I, and I guess I mean, we've got an ODI World Cup coming up this year, which is going to be in these conditions, right? So this is very much an opportunity to put your hand up and cement your spot. Oh, absolutely. I think, um, you know, it's definitely always exciting when you've got a World Cup year and um, especially one in India. You know, playing cricket over here is just, it's amazing. You know, it's a huge privilege to be able to come over here and play cricket in a place where, you know, um, the sport itself is a religion and um, you know some of the stadiums are, are generally packed out and it's a, a great atmosphere so I'm really excited especially for guys like Henry Shipley who haven't played a lot in these conditions uh, to be able to get that opportunity to soak it all in and, and have a good crack out there and so um, yeah, hopefully we can put on some good performances and, and you know get ourselves ready for that World Cup later in the year. Yeah, yeah, that's no, going to be good, mate. I'm interested to see uh, how the boys go, uh, how, how you go as well, because I guess that's the other thing. You know, we talk about uh, the subcontinent and how it's great for spinners, so we send spinners over there to play like we have. But you've also got to keep in mind that the, the, the team that's playing at home, uh, they're used to playing spin a lot more than maybe guys down here are. Oh, that's exactly right. And I think that that's what presents the biggest challenges. You know, these guys are, are great at playing spin bowlers. They've been, you know, played them ever since they were in the womb. Um, so, you know, it's it's nothing new for them. Uh, I guess for us to come over here, it's just important to, to be able to recognise that, but also re- remember that we've got some great strengths that got us here as well. And so, you know, often you can get caught in the trap by trying to bowl how, you know, successful Indian spinners bowl in these conditions and, and often neglect your strengths that have sort of got you here. So I think that's the important thing is to be able to stick to those and, and try to try to do the best we can with our skill sets. Mm. And you've got Mitch Santner obviously there as well now. So you've got Mitch and yourself and, and Braces. I mean, it feels like you're the uh, the attacking point of that triumvirate, if you like. You're the, you're the wicket taker in there to, there to maybe sort of try and suffocate players? Is that sort of the, the game plan? Oh, I'd say Mitchell Santner's been suffocating a, you know, many a batting lineup for a long <laughs> period of time now. Um, and Michael Bracewell's was coming, mate. You know, like I was watching him bowl in that first ODI and I thought, Christ, this guy's only been really bowling in professional career for the last year and a half or two years. And so to see how much he's grown over that time is phenomenal. And I, I think he's, you know, probably calling him a defensive bowler is probably a little bit unfair. I think he's a very aggressive off spinner and you know, quite similar to like a Jeetan Patel used to be for Wellington for a long time and, and for New Zealand and also Warwickshire. So it's really great to see how he's come on. And, and I guess for me, it's just about, you know, keeping that wicket-taking mindset um, out there in mind. But I think it's also being able to adapt. Like during that ODI series, you know, Braces came to me and said, I think this is probably a, 
a pitch that we need to keep holding on and be defensive on and, and we'll get our wickets that way. So I guess it's cool to, to have that sort of conversation out there so you can s- sort of be able to adapt to roles um, as best as you can. But for me, definitely that wicket-taking mindset's key. Yeah, it's got, it's got to be key, um, uh, particularly in those conditions as well, mate, because, you know, I, I used to work uh, years ago with Simon Dool and, you know, he had, uh, I mean, you know, he, he had a pretty good career, but he had, he had uh, I think it was one innings, it might have been in, at the Basin, I think, against India, where he took seven for 90-odd. And um, mm. after that, that, that kind of minted him in India. You know what I mean? And this was pre-IPL days, but he was getting invites to run bowling clinics and all sorts of stuff over there. So, I mean, it is it is a place where if you do well, it can it can set you up in a lot of ways commercially off the field as well. Yeah, I suppose, you know, it's, it's just, it just sort of comes with the territory. They love cricket over here. And, you know, the, the way that IPL has gone over the last few while, it's been a powerhouse for international cricket. And so coming over here, man, it's just a, a great buzz. Um you know, there's, there's a, a huge amount of passion for the game and, and to be able to, I guess, take the field as a New Zealand side is, is something that we definitely hold with a lot of pride and, and certainly don't take for granted. And another bloke that is over there, mate, and I don't know that he's going to play, I think he's more there for the T20s, but is, uh, is, is Blister, Ben Lister out of Auckland, um, mm. you know, with no Trent around anymore and with Wags more a Red Bull bowler, we probably are lacking uh, a left arm quick. Uh, what do you make of him? You reckon um, he's going he's gonna, to um, go a ride over in India? Yeah, he's certainly, you know, earned a spot. He's, he's been bowling really well for Auckland for a, for a decent period of time and keeps improving. I feel like he's probably put on an extra yard or two of pace, uh, which is great to see. He's he's quite a unique sort of left-arm bowler. He's got the ability to sort of swing the ball away from a right-hander uh, and then be able to bring it back in as well, as opposed to the traditional sort of go in and in and then go away. So so it's something different, which is cool. Um, and I think T20 cricket's great for, for guys like that to come and be able to express their skills. And, and that little bit of point of difference always helps in those shorter formats. So no, it's great to see that he's got his opportunity and, We'll definitely welcome him with open arms and, and back him to the hill. Yeah, I mean, it just feels like, you know, at the moment, as I mentioned, with the guys that aren't there anymore, that, that maybe, you know, that, that left arm quick is something that uh, the Black Caps need in their arsenal that we maybe don't don't have access to all the time at the moment. Well, it's right, you know, it's it's we've been so blessed to have Trent for so long, um, you know, and he's obviously gone away and, and doing some great things on the international circuits, which is great, and it opens up opportunities for a guy like Ben who... You know, he's probably been been waiting in the wings for a wee while and he's really excited to come in and try to do his best against a really exciting side. And, and like you say, you know, for young guys coming in and, and having the opportunity to play against, you know, a team like India in these conditions, it can definitely set up things for the future. And, and so we'll definitely get, get right behind him. Yeah, in terms of preparing for a series, you obviously watch tape on opposition batsmen as a bowling unit. Um, might I suggest you don't watch the last ODI? <laughs> <laughs> Mate, honestly, like... Uh, yeah, these guys, you know, the, the more highlights you watch, the more you get intimidated. So you just almost want to just sort of like get back in and try to try to focus on your strengths. I mean, like that, like that, that innings that Surya Kumar Yadav played in the Mount Monganui still sticks in my mind, eh? <laughs> Yeah, mate, I saw that because I watched the first uh, that the first ODI against Sri Lanka when Sri Lanka won, and you know India put on a good chase, and you know from I think they were five down for not very many, and they nearly nearly stole it. Uh, but and then it was one all, but they've been tight games, and then you know so you, you wake up the next morning they've scored three hundred and ninety for four, and you're thinking, oh, okay, okay, services usual just as just as the Black Caps roll into town. Yeah, I know, and you you think it was like a pretty flat wicket, but then they decided to bowl them out for about seventy <laughs> odds. So they're running they're running hot, the Indians. Um, you know, and, and it's it's no better place to be. You want to take on the best in the world, and 
and you know we're, we're coming off a really strong series and conditions that are very foreign to us so now nah, we're, we're definitely very confident as a group and uh and back everyone in this group to be able to to put on some good competition against these guys yeah well Ish, hey listen mate i really appreciate your time thanks very much for, for having a chat mate go well and uh, best of luck for tomorrow and for the, the rest of the series while you're over there eh Cheers, brother. Take care, man. Yeah, you too, man. Ish Sodi there with us out of India, part of the new Black Cap setup, uh, about to take on India in three ODIs and a couple of T20s as well. Uh, lots more cricket coming your way. That game gets underway tomorrow night. It is a quarter to eight here on Extra Time on SENZ. It's 10 away from 8 o'clock here on SENZ Extra Time. Ricardo Ball back in the seat for the first time since October. Back is the theme for all our songs tonight as well. Songs with back in the title. If you've got uh, any suggestions, you can text them through to us on double eight double three double eight double three. Just updating you on the tennis as well. Matteo Berrettini has pulled it out of the fire and beaten Andy Murray in a tie break in the fourth set. 7-6. So now we go to a fifth set decider. Uh, in the Australian Open first round. It's been a fantastic game. I can tell you that Josh Thompson uh, has beaten JJ Wolf 6-3 in the second set, so it's one set apiece, and one all in the third set as well as uh, those games uh, continue. Dan Evans, the Englishman, he's uh, fighting a duel with uh, Argentinian uh, Fabio Bagnus. Uh, that is uh, looking like it'll probably go Evans' way in four sets. He's up 5-4 and serving for the match. Diego Schwarzman, uh, the other Argentinian who's in the draw as well, is up two sets to one over a Ukrainian opponent um, and is serving, but he's down 4-3 currently in the fourth set. Lots of uh, tennis going on at the moment from the Australian Open and uh, we'll do more on that because we're going to cross to live coverage for you from 9 o'clock but uh, something else has been in the news of course is rugby coaches and uh, there's been a bit of a, a merry-go-round of course we've seen Steve Borthwick take the England job from Eddie Jones. Eddie Jones got the sack. Then Dave Rennie got the sack, and Eddie Jones has taken his job. Of course, the best person to go to to get some perspective on this is the man that's taken Eddie Jones's old job. This is what Steve Borthwick, the New England coach, had to say. Eddie Jones has been announced as Australia's new head coach last night. Your reaction to that news? My reaction, um, I'm delighted for him. Going coach his home country. Um, the day that I was announced as England head coach. He sent me a message wishing me the very best. And this morning I sent him a message wishing him the very best. You could face them in the quarterfinals of the World Cup. Are you worried at all that maybe his knowledge of the team, the players, could come back and haunt you? It's, um, it's a really exciting year with the World Cup around the corner. And I think we're all, as rugby fans, we're all excited by it. We play Scotland in 19 days. So I know the World Cup's around the corner, but 19 days, so we're t- 19 days time. We play against Scotland. That's going to be our focus, as Kevin and I, all the coaches and all the players, we're focused upon that game. Would you rather Jones hadn't taken a, a job at another international team, though? Nothing to do with me. My job is to coach the England rugby team, and that's what I'm going to continue. The, 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 I've talked about the team we wish to build, and I think every, every um, England supporter wants to see an England team that plays with that courage we talk about, fighting in every single contest and finds a way to win and that's our job to coach that team. There you go, there's Steve Borthwick talking about the appointment of Eddie Jones congratulated him, uh, said it's good that he's uh, going to be able to coach his home country again uh, but wouldn't be drawn on any more and interesting the reporter there pointed out they could play each other in the quarterfinals 
these are the pools, right? So Australia's pool, they're in pool C, is Portugal, Georgia, Fiji, Australia and Wales. So you'd expect Australia, Wales to come out of that group. I, mean, I think Georgia, Fiji uh, aren't going to be pushovers. Uh, we've seen what the uh, the Fijians can do with Vern Cotter and uh, and co working with them, Daryl Gibson as well. So they're they're a reasonably well drilled side, and the Georgians are no mugs either. They have beaten the Welsh and the Italians recently, uh, so they'll go all right. But on in Pool D, uh, Chile, uh, the qualifiers out of South America, uh, then Argentina, Samoa. Japan and England. Um, so, I mean, Argentina beat England last year, didn't they? Ben. Yeah, they did. Uh, you know, one of the best headlines I saw from this whole appointment, uh, you would know probably the website, I think it's pronounced as the B2 Advocate. Mm-hmm. Uh, their, their story with Eddie Jones coming said the headline was Wallabies now dreaming of inspiring victory over European giants Portugal <laughs> <laughs> with Eddie Jones' appointment. Ah, uh, yes. I wonder if they'll draft uh, Cristiano Ronaldo in for that for, for one last World Cup, see if he can win one. Oh, who knows? Who knows? What do you reckon? Where would he play? Oh. He'd have to be a 10, wouldn't he? Dictating play. He wouldn't pass the ball, though. No. He'd just, he'd just, <laughs> he'd just run, he'd run with it every time, wouldn't he? Yeah. He might He might be good for crossfield kicks. Well, he's he's got a bit of height on him, doesn't he? He's about 6'2", six 6'3". Six just chuck him on the wing. Chuck, oh, yeah. I, mean, I don't know if he's got the wheels for the wing anymore, does he? No, he don't necessarily. He just needs the height. He could just be yeah. like a Geordie Barrett. Mm. Jump up, jump and score. Yeah, potentially. Because he, he would just, whatever he would just play. He says, if, if anyone crosses the line, just give me the ball. As long as I'm the one scoring <laughs> and I can kick penalties, I'll be happy. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. There, he'd definitely take all the penalties. So, uh, yeah, it's an interesting draw, though. I mean, Argentina, Japan uh, could give England some problems. It's going to be interesting to see how Steve Borthwick goes because the interesting thing for me was talking to. Uh, guys like uh, Martin Gillingham, who, who's the main commentator for all the England games, Chris Foy, who's the head rugby writer for the Daily Mail, is they didn't rate it as an appointment. They thought he plays boring, basic rugby, um, and that'd be, uh, I guess, easy to read. Um, I guess it's just England's quality uh, and and their strength and depth is right as their forward. So even if it is basic, you still got to be able to stop them from doing it. Well, I'm very curious to see what kind of role impact, sorry, Kevin Sinfield has on the team. Leeds Rhinos legend. Mm, yeah, well, so that seems to be the thing now. If you want to be a successful rugby union team, you need to have a leaguey coaching your defence because that's that's what we've seen plenty of. Uh, I don't know if the All Blacks will ever do it. Who would you have? Stephen Kearney and his All Blacks defence coach? No? Okay. Ben's shaking his head. Uh, coming up after 8 o'clock, Daisy Cleverly and the Mole talking rugby league. Just gone 8 o'clock here on SENZ Extra Time. Ricardo Ball back in the seat for you for the first time since October. And as a result, our uh, theme for the evening of songs with back in the title. Tom Petty, I won't back down there. Keep your uh, texts coming through, double eight double three for suggestions of other songs we could play out of uh, the next couple of breaks on the show through till 9 o'clock. Uh, now, all the news out of the NRL has been about Stephen Crichton, uh, the Penrith Panthers player, uh, and... There's been some mixed messages, it is fair to say, over the last little while. I've seen um, people, you know, supposedly in the know saying uh, probably about a week ago that are hearing that Stephen Crichton is not signed with the Bulldogs, definitely wants to stay at Penrith. Heard another one where you know, Stephen Crichton's uh, management have approached the Panthers. They want a deal to take to their player. That was about a week ago as well. And then today uh, we hear 
He's gone, you know what, don't worry about that deal. Uh, I've got something else lined up. We don't know exactly what it is yet, but we've got a fair idea. And a man who has always got his nose close to the ground is the man they call the mole, Tony Adams, out of Australia. How are you, mate? Yeah, doing well, Ricardo. Hey, mate, uh, happy 2023. I don't know how long we can keep saying that, but the first time I've talked to you since then, mate. <laughs> is it treating you well so far? Yeah, so far so good. It's uh, stinking hot in Oz. So, so hot they have to stop the tenant. So uh, that'll give you an idea of how warm things are over here. Well, that's good, mate, because I think last time I talked to you, you were complaining about how rubbish the weather was. So uh, you've got to be on the up and up then. Yeah, exactly. It's uh, it's nice and warm these days. So as long as the bushfires don't come back, uh, we're good. Yeah, we're good, mate. We're good. What do you what do you make of the Stephen Crichton situation? I mean, especially after you know all the clubs got increased uh, increased salary caps, so they could offer more money. I mean, I thought as soon as that happened, I thought, well, that's it. Stephen Crichton stays at Penrith, but it doesn't look like to, that's the case. Well, Ricardo, would it shock you that there are some people in rugby league telling porky pies at the moment? <laughs> um, because I can tell you, he's a he's a done deal at the Bulldogs. Uh, this is all about uh, image, um, transparency, or, or lack thereof. Basically, when, when Cameron Sorrello went to the uh, Bulldogs, he said to him, I'm, I'm not going to be stealing your players. Uh, well, he's already pinched a couple, and uh, he, he didn't want to make it seem like uh, he'd stolen a, a, a third in Crichton. So they're just going to let it sit and simmer for a little bit. Uh, but I can tell you in about two weeks there'll be this shock announcement that uh, Stephen Crichton's come to terms with the Bulldogs for the next three years. Oh, what a surprise, Molly. What a surprise. Do you, do you reckon <laughs> that, that means that the Panthers-Dogs is going to be tasty next year? Or this year? This, this oh, coming? Well, I think the, the players are okay with it. They, they understand, you know, it, it, it's a professional game. They understand with the salary cap, the, the more Penrith win the harder it is for them to hang on to, to players. I guess the, the, the ones who are going to have a, a real party are, are us in the media who will play it up uh, deluxe. But, uh, yeah, I, I, I think the players are, are basically all right with it. If, if, everyone's going to end up a winner because they're all making more money. And um, after all, uh, that's that's pretty much what it's about these days. So I'm looking at the Bulldogs roster and who they've got so far. And it feels like, you know, maybe the signing that we haven't heard about is that they've signed Nick Politis uh, to run the accounts department because I don't understand uh, how they're fitting all this in, mate. I mean, if they get Stephen Crichton on top of Reed Marnie, on top of Josh Adokar, on top of Viliami Kikau and all, all the other players they've got coming in uh, this season, uh, I mean, that, that's a massive overhaul with a lot of big talent uh, on big money. Yeah, that's right. But in their defence, uh, they have they have a lot of dead wood. They've they've managed to get rid of a a fair bit of that. Um, uh, they 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 forced their their skipper into retirement, so that that's a fair bit of money saved, and and he's going to help out uh, in an off field capacity. So uh, you know there there are ways and there are ways to get around this uh, salary cap. And uh, the Bulldogs, let's just say they've got. We've got a pretty smart accountant running the books there. Yeah, well, that, that, yeah, they must have, mate. They must have. Oh, it was interesting because you know I, I didn't um, I didn't see Josh Jackson retiring this season. I I thought uh, you know he's so key to what they do. He's such a workhouse. He's just a, a workhorse. He's just a a tackle machine. I, I wonder how they will go without him uh, in the guts. I mean, have they have they replaced him? Do you think? I mean, it's, it sort of rings of the Warriors when they lost Michael Luck a bit. 
Yeah, well, it's a fair point, but, uh, you know, Josh Jackson out, Viliami Kikau in, you know, I know who I prefer out of those two. And Jackson, while he is a, a good hard worker, his, his best footy realistically was behind him. You know, he, I think he was pushing 30 and uh, and he won't be lost to the club. He'll, he'll, he'll still be there in an off-field capacity. So, you know, I, I think it's it's pretty much a smart business decision, which... It really comes down to these days. Uh, it's it's a, a ruthless business, you know. If you if you're not at your best, you're you're a liability to your club, and uh, they'll they'll find a way to move you on. Uh, in, in Josh Jackson's case, they they basically convinced him to retire. I'm sure he didn't retire because he thought, oh, I've had enough, you know. So they they would have made him an offer he couldn't refuse. And of course, uh, once a guy like him becomes a, a coach, they can pay him whatever he wants or a backroom staffer it doesn't go into the salary cap and, and the Bulldogs are a club with, with plenty of money their league's club one of the biggest and most profitable in Australia they, they got all those poker machines spinning wheels 24 hours a day so uh, you know m- money's not a problem so it, it came down to a, a tough business decision and they've, they've made it and um, you know good luck for the Bulldogs they've steadily been improving the last couple of years after being an, an absolute rabble, uh, uh, you know, three, four years ago. So, uh, you know, they're going to improve uh, in 2023 and they're going to improve even more in 2024. So, uh, bottom line, that, that's what the fans want and I think the fans will be happy. Yeah, I think they will be too. Uh, another player they have been linked to uh, is Mitchell Moses, Um he is currently at Para. The Para have, have, have signed Dylan Brown to a long-term contract, and now they've got this extra. What is it about extra two and a half, three million? Right, each club's got in salary cap. Um, do you think Mitchell Moses will stay at Para now, or do you uh, do you think that the Seraldo project might be te- too tempting? Uh, my only is uh, Mitchell Moses has come down to two clubs. Uh, one one option is staying at Para. The the other is going back to the Tigers. The, the Tigers are that desperate for a, a quality number seven that they'll pay overs for him, and it's a sort of money that not even the Bulldogs are willing to throw at him. Uh, they have a problem in that. They've got Kyle Flanagan there on $600,000 a season, and he's just not a $600,000 a season player. They, they'd love to move him on, uh, but no one's going to take him on that sort of money. So um, it, it, it's a real stumbling block for him. I, I think they're going to have to start the year with him but it's it's not an ideal situation because to improve and, and to move up the ladder which the Bulldogs are trying to do you need a quality number seven and, and it's something they lack so it's a problem um, but Mitchell Moses I think is, is just even for the Bulldogs I think he's going to be out of their league Parramatta will throw massive money at him and the Tigers will throw even more so uh, I think as I said it's out of those two yeah, it's going to be interesting to see what happens at Power next year, isn't it? Because or this coming season, I was going to say, because they've lost some pretty big pieces. Um, uh, Nia Kore, obviously, Reed Marnie, Isaiah Papali, you're gone. It doesn't feel like they've replaced like for like in terms of who's come in. I, I feel like they look a bit lightweight in the pack after some of those losses. Yeah, definitely. I mean, Papali's been been great for them the last couple of years. Nia Kore's been good. But the, the the main thing is that they've kept the, the two former halves in uh, Brown and Moses, and they're the guys who 
guide him around the park. They're, they're the guys who've been leading him to victory. I think uh, Reed Marnie's a, a, a definitely a big loss too. He, he's been uh, great for him at Hooker, and Hooker is just such a uh, important job in the modern game. So uh, yeah, it's it's uh, a bit of a worry for Eels fans, and and coupled with the fact that they probably overachieved this year. I think if fans at the 12 months ago would have been told. Uh, would you take a losing grand final? They would have said yes every time. So, uh, you know, it's it's a tough one for Brad Arthur. I think he's going to start the year under plenty of pressure. And if he finishes fourth or fifth, people probably say he's uh, he's failed. So, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll feel for him. It's it's going to be a, a could be a tough long year for the Eels. Yeah, I mean, so even about three quarters of the way through the season, there was some talk that Power wanted to let Brad Arthur go, and he was potentially a target for the Dragons. Yeah, that's right. Well, well, let's not forget the, the two clubs we've been talking about. Canterbury beat Parramatta, I think it was 34 to nil uh, midway through the season. So, uh, you know, that, that was just a stunning result. And I think Parra fans then thought, oh, well, any hope we had of, of making the finals, let alone the, the grand finals gone here. But, um, you know, credit to them. They, they turned it around and scored some great wins in the finals and... You know, they, they were never going to beat Penrith on the night. Let, let's be realistic about it. The Panthers were just too good, and uh, the scoreline reflected that. But the, to finish second to them is no mean feat because they beat some pretty, pretty good clubs along the way. Yeah, they did. They did. It was a, it was a, it was a dream run for a while. We, we all had that that hope, Molly, but it didn't didn't come through. As you know, power fan here. But um, what about then? You know, player movement because you know generally everything's done and dusted now. Right? Everybody's at, at their club starting pre-season, but it feels like that with this extra cash that is floating around with the clubs, we could see more player movement before um, sort of March than we than we usually do. What do you reckon? Yeah, it's very possible. And one, I think most of the clubs have announced their thirty-man rosters, so that that makes it a little bit difficult because they've got to move someone on to bring someone in because you, you you can't have actually more than 30 players on your books at any one time. So that, that's a hurdle. But, uh, you know, what clubs are like, they'll, they'll always find a way. They'll ship a bloke off to England or retire him or do something else that's uh, a little bit uh, dodgy. So, uh, yeah, it, it, it could well happen. What I think we'll, we will see more of, and, and we saw plenty of it this year, is players suddenly get a rash of injuries and all of a sudden open the checkbook and uh, start signing players mid-season. So uh, keep an eye for that. I'm, I'm pretty sure Ricardo will see uh, some, of, some of that and, in fact, more of that than we have the last couple of years. Yeah, it's going to be an interesting one to keep an eye on. See, the other thing I'm interested to see how it goes is Anthony Seabold at Manly. Um, Des Hasler's pretty big big boots to fill and I, I felt feel like Des was done a uh, was done a duty there at Manly. I mean man you know, as a, a power of fan, Manly's not my favourite club, it's gotta be fair, but uh I, I, I am interested to see how Seabold goes there, particularly with um Tommy Turbo sort of playing on one leg again. Yeah, well that's right, and and it's an immediate um real blow to, to Manly assuming he doesn't start the season, you know, I can see he'll either start the season very slowly or not at all. And, uh, you know, if, if this miracle worker in the US can, can get him going again, then uh, good luck to Manly. But uh, I had a chat to Seabold the other day, and, and he, he's pretty happy with things. He's got a couple of other guys on the sideline. Carl Lawton, who, who played over there for your Warriors, is, is still recovering from an ACL. 
Uh, Jason Saab, who's scored a heap of tries the last few years. Uh, he's still on the sideline. So they're definitely not going to be full strength at the start of the year. But uh, well, great Seabold. I, I, I think he's he's had a few problems, but I think he's learned along the way. He, he's had a couple of years to reflect on, on that disastrous end of the Broncos. And uh, we've seen he, he's not the only man who can't coach the Broncos the last couple of years. So, um, you know, it, it'll be interesting to see how they go. But uh, bottom line, uh, a fairly good roster. I see them coming, you know, somewhere between fifth and eighth. You know, they should make the finals. Certainly if they don't, it puts a lot of pressure on Seabold for the following year. Yeah, yeah, certainly does, mate. Uh, a couple of other things before I let you go. One of those is we've got a new team in this year, of course, in the, in the Dolphins. Uh, Wayne Bennett has built a squad from scratch before, as we know, with the Broncos. Uh, he's attempting to do it again here. But uh, there was a... Uh, a term that you used, I think, when you were talking about uh, some of the players that the Bulldogs were trying to get rid of, which was rabble. Um, the, I see a lot of rabble in the player gains that the Dol- uh, that the, the Dolphins have made. I, this doesn't look like uh, the build that uh, Bennett did last time when he when he built the Broncos from scratch. No, you're 100 percent right. Uh, I, I look at that squad and, and I see wooden spoon written all over it. And uh, you know the, the 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 Tigers were worthy wooden spoons last year, but I think they've got the, um, the the poor old Dolphins covered here. They they just haven't signed quality players. And I feel a bit sorry for the Dolphins because, uh, you know, it's a ruthless game, as we know. And they've, they've got no help from their rival clubs, as I guess you'd expect. Very little help from the player managers who really just use them as a bargaining chip to, to force the price of, of players up. And anyone who was good, uh, oh, one minute, oh, you know, they're talking to the Dolphins, the, the likes of Cameron Munster. Uh, next minute, they're, they're signing either with their existing club or, or someone else at a high price. So, um, yeah, it, it has been a, a, a good uh, preparation for them. And um, plus, you know, those those who are counting on, on the Wayne Bennett magic to, to win matches, you know, I, I think those days are are gone. Wayne's a great man-manager, but uh, as far as a, a coach who can win matches on his own, that, that just doesn't happen to me. So, you know, I'll, I'll be very surprised they win more than three or four games, and I can see him copying quite a few hidings along the way. Mm, yeah, it's um, it's going to be interesting to see how that project unfolds. And finally, before we let you go, Molly, uh, the Warriors. Um, I'm looking at some of the gains, Jackson Ford, Mitch Barnett, Tamari Martin, Luke Metcalf, Charles Nicol Clockstead, Marata Niakore, Dylan Walker, um, Jackson Ford out of the Dragons as well. Uh, what do you make of what they've grabbed and, and, and the fact they've got a new coach in charge there? Yeah, it's a fair, um, fair recruitment they've done. Uh, Tamari Martin's a class player. Nicol Clockstead, uh, he'll be key. Uh, they've obviously been looking for for someone uh, to replace um, uh, the, the the great fullback whose name just... Oh, Roger Tuivasa-Shek. Roger Tuivasa-Shek. And uh, I wrote a story the other week, I don't know if but uh, I'm, I'm hearing that uh, Roger's all, not all that happy over there in mm. uh, in rugby union. He's not, not getting much of a much game time with the All Blacks. Uh, I'm also hearing, though, that probably the Warriors won't be able to afford him. And if he does go anywhere, it'll be, ironically, uh, to the Dolphins, who who will have plenty of money to spend. So uh, he, he could finally be the marquee signing. But, uh, yeah, Nickel Clock said, he, you know, he's a class player. He, he won Canberra a few games on his own last year. 
Um, overall, a fairly solid squad, the Warriors. But uh, as you know with them, um, you know, so much depends on whether they get some momentum up, what the confidence is like. The coach I don't know a lot about. Um, you know, he's got he's got wraps on him. He comes out of the, the Penrith system, um, which obviously is a, a, a good thing. Uh, he would learn plenty from the likes of Ivan Cleary, Gus Gould, uh, Cameron Seraldo. So, uh, yeah, it will be interesting. And actually, one bloke who does have a rap on him is the great Tim Sheens, his good mate of mine. And he coached under Tim. Uh, he even played under Tim for a while at, at the Tigers, I think. And um, Tim says he, he's a good coach. So, uh, you know, that, that counts for a fair bit. So mm. he, it's going to be challenging, no, no doubt, uh, first year in with high expectations. But, uh, again, it, it's a team that if things go their way, they stay injury-free, they, they, they could come very close to finally uh, getting back in finals football. Yeah, which uh, is, is, is what they'd want, uh, their first season fully back at home for uh, three years, mate. It'd uh, go down well with the fans if they managed that. Good stuff, Molly. Thanks for coming on, mate, and having a chat. My pleasure, and that's Buster. He says hello. Yeah, hello, Buster. It sounds like it's time for a walk, is it? It is. Time for dinner, actually. All right. Good stuff, Molly. We'll let you go feed Buster. Thanks very much, mate. We'll talk to you again soon, eh? Talk soon, Ricardo. Cheers. Uh, There we go. Tony Adams, the Rugby League mole, uh, talking Rugby League with us. It is 19 past eight. Get your text through. Double eight, double three. What song are we going to have out of the break next? Loving a bit of Aerosmith back in the saddle here on SENZX Retire. Ricardo back in the chair for the first time since October. And our theme for the night is uh, songs with back in the title. It is good to be back. And Ben, I know something that you are absolutely fizzing for. It is back, I believe, in eight weeks. The NRL, uh, we were just talking to Moley uh, and talking about that Warriors uh, squad and uh, some of the players they've brought in, some of the players they've shipped on or let go. Uh, what do you think of how the Warriors shape up uh, as SENZ's number one Warriors fan? Yeah, look, it's it's always a tricky one because over the last 10 years, we've always had lots of hope and faith in the Warriors and kind of hasn't lived up to it. So you kind of look at the team and because it's happened for so long, you kind of sit there and think... Oh, you know, you like to, you like to be optimistic, but hey, I think if I look at where the team was last year and look at the team now, I I think I am relatively happy with it. Um, no, I think I hope I'm hoping Andrew Webster gets some time, and it sounds like the, the Warriors are going to start trying to do some. They can start bringing things back, which is which they had when they were successful. Uh, you know, just even just ten years ago. But uh, quite funny, I had Jazz Tavanga on the show last week, and mm. he took a bit of a dig at Reese Walsh. He, he was because uh, Dean, who was hosting, was asked him about uh, Chan Single Klugstad coming back, and he said, "Oh, look, look Chan's is so good on defence." He, he pretty much, I'm paraphrasing here, he said, "You know, Reese Walsh can do all the flashy stuff, but he can't tackle." <laughs> <laughs> he said, and, and he said we've got the best defensive fullback in the game, um, and so that, that was kind of funny. Yeah, uh, hearing things like that. So look, I think the Warriors have actually had some good additions to the team, but look, until they actually get out on the field and you see them play, it, the, that's when the, it will truly show. But I, I like some of the pieces that they have added to their team. All right, well, let's have a look at who they've added. They've added Mitch Barnett out of Newcastle. Uh, he, for them, was mainly a second rower, but I've got a feeling he's probably going to play a bit of prop for the Warriors. Yeah, probably. Probably, you know, well, the way the Warriors have been playing, you know, you think of a guy like Tohu 
you know, they've moved lots of guys to be more of those middle forwards and have a bit more experience and a bit more fight up the middle. So look, that probably will be the case. And look, he could even he's probably going to be a goal kicking option as well when he's on the field. Mm. Uh, Jackson Ford, second row out of out of the Dragons, he feels more like a depth player rather than a starting thirteen. Uh, I would agree with that. But look, you know, injuries can happen pretty quick, so it could, might not be long before he gets an opportunity. Yeah, now uh, the Kepu brothers, I think those are ones for the future that that'll be in the squad. Probably won't see a lot of them this season. Yeah, I can't remember which one, but uh, one is in a moon boot. And uh, Jazz mentioned that last week, and Cameron George uh, was asked about it just before on the run home, and he said, yeah, one of them's in a moon boot, but not too sure how long he'll be out for. But, yeah, I'd say more for the future. And uh, if the Warriors got that reserve team back, you know, a fantastic opportunity to give those guys good, solid game yeah. time. Tomari Martin, um, he obviously played most of his football last season for the Broncos at fullback, but with Chance, I mean, I would probably play Chance in the centres and Tomari at fullback, to be honest, but what do you think? Yeah, I probably would have. Oh, I one of the players who you haven't asked me about yet was Luke Metcalf, and I think he's a fantastic player, and I would like to see him included in the seventeen. So, look, that probably would be the way to include Metcalf, or you can have Metcalf in the halves with Sean and have Tamaria fullback. But yeah, look, he's gonna, he's got. Oh, I think he's gonna have that first run at number six, the partner Sean in the halves. Uh, I know he was when he was at his peak of his powers. He was a guy that the Warriors did want so you know, he, he's made he's forced his way back into the game and look, he could be a, he could be a very handy player to have in the Warriors you know, he's got a bit of experience under his belt he's got a very good game so hopefully him and Sean can form a good combo mm, uh, So you mentioned Luke Metcalf we've talked to Marty Martin Charles Nicol Cloxley we've talked as well Marata Kore excites me yeah, look, he, he's he's a player that was in the juniors at the Warriors a few years ago, and he went on and spent a few years, of course, just recently at Power, and now he's back. It's going to be interesting to see where he lines up as well. He, he's probably one that he can one that can play in that in the second row or play in the centres. So that the, these players that they've added are bringing a lot more depth to the team, which is what the Warriors need. Because you saw last year when a couple of guys went down, boy, they struggled with they just struggled because lots of the guys they had to come in just had no experience, and they had to really rely on youth, which is always hard. And I mean, you, you talk about players that uh, bring multifaceted options. Uh, then there's probably no better op- uh, example of that than Dylan Walker, right? I mean, the guy can play fullback, he can play centres, he can play six. I think he's even played a bit of hooker. Yeah, he can. And Andrew Webster said that he's going to probably have that first shot at the number fourteen role, which hey, he's he's going to he's going to be an interesting piece because he's a guy that you would probably really want to bring on. You know, just that in that period, just before half time, just after the break, when you know bodies are tiring, and he can probably have a bit of speed out there, a bit of mongrel out there too, which is what you like. But he's also got that kicking game as well because he can play in the halves. So it's going to give that Warriors that other extra dynamic. And I think, well, personally for me, I really like a, a fourteen utility that can pretty much play anywhere. Like one of my favorite players was Lance Ohia. Like he played. He played everywhere, man. He could do everything, and you, I think you really need a guy like that in your team. Yeah, so it's interesting. Uh, and then Braden Villiami, um, who's a centre they got out of St George again, probably one more for the future. Yeah, look, he's had a bit of an interesting road uh, in, in the sport. But look, centre is a position where the Warriors desperately need some depth and they need some experience in there. Of course, you and Aitken came to the club as a centre and ended up finishing in the second row and. Look, we had you know guys like Rocco Berrien and Viliami Viala playing in the centres, two very young guys. Yeah, Adam Pompey still very young, very raw. So look, these guys are coming in here, and I'm sure that they will do a job when called upon.
Yeah, so it's going to be interesting to see how the Warriors uh, shape up next or this coming season. I was going to say, it's, we're already in 2023, aren't we? It catches up with you. Uh, yeah, you can send us text through your thoughts to that Warriors squad for 2023 as well. Double eight, double three is the Temper Beard Post text machine. When we come back, uh, we are going to talk football with Daisy Cleverly, one of the football ferns ahead of tomorrow's clash with the United States. You're on SENZ, this is Extra Time, and we head to Wellington to catch up with uh, one of our football ferns, Daisy Cleverly, as they get ready to take on the US Women's National Team in two games, uh, starting, uh, the first one is actually tomorrow. How are you guys preparing tonight, Daisy, and welcome. Thank you, yeah, yeah. Um, We're doing good, yeah, it's match day minus one, Um, so we're going to head out to the park today and, um, you know, get a few touches in before, before the game tomorrow, and we have a Meet and greet, actually. It should be good fun to, you know, speak with the fans. I think it's going to be, you know, a record-breaking crowd tomorrow, mm. which is um, pretty exciting, especially first time, you know, playing in front of a home crowd for me. Um, but, yeah, it's exciting stuff. Exciting. And, and I guess, too, from your point of view, playing the U.S. Women's National Team, not only the, you know, back-to-back World Cup champions and a team that will be based here, but a team you'd know a bit about, having played so much in California and then at Georgetown as well. Yeah, no, definitely obviously been in the US for about five years um, and playing the US quite a bit. I mean, I've been in the squad for about eight years now and one of my first tours was um, going to the US and playing the US. I've been watching them for a while now and obviously they're such a class team. Um, we know it's going to be a huge challenge, um, but yeah, I'm just going to make sure I bring my bring my experience and my leadership skills um, to the game tomorrow, especially with a lot of new players coming through. Um, yeah, it's going to be... It's going to be a good challenge. I think we're ready for it. Well, it's it's an interesting challenge for both teams, I guess, given that this is out of a FIFA window, right? I mean, how how were your club with you coming down here? How, what was that conversation like? Yeah, no, it has been has been quite difficult for a lot of our players being released. Um, I've been very fortunate that my club has been very supportive of um, me and the national team. Um, I've been fortunate that the Danish league um, doesn't start till March, so I'm, I'll just be missing preseason at the moment. So. I think there was a bit of, you know, weighing up um, what would be better for me. Um, so, yeah, they've been incredibly supportive coming here. Um, I know some other clubs haven't, which is a bit unfortunate for us, but obviously it's allowed um, new players, more, more so domestic players, to be able to come through and, you know, show Yitka and the team kind of what they've got. Yeah, and that's, you know, key here because I think the US are in a similar position. Somebody told me that they've brought 81 personnel with them, whether it, whether it's players oh, wow. or trainers or admin staff or whatever. So, you know, it's it's a it's a machine, the US <laughs> women's national team, isn't it? We, and we know what they have to live up to. So there's a lot of pressure on them at the moment because these players are, and it's, uh, some of them are playing for their spots. You know, they might not be back here later this year. Yeah, it's very true. Well, I did not realise it was 81 that's playing. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I mean, the US is a very competitive team. And I think, um, even listening to their interviews, they're all speaking as though, you know, hopefully I'm here in July, you know, they're not, um, super cocky and stuff, which I think is Mm. pretty admirable because it's, you know, it's a competitive environment and they do have a very strong team with them this break. I think because a lot of them do play in the US and they're in their off season. So that's a huge benefit for them. Um, which unfortunately we only have, I don't know, a couple of players in the US, um, so, yeah, I mean, it's going to be hard for both teams, but they're looking strong. 
uh, looking strong. The one one piece that they uh, I was doing a, uh, watched a couple of interviews ahead of this from out of the states, um, and, a, and read a couple of articles. And one piece they seem to be really concerned about not being able to replace at the moment, not having an obvious contender, is Julie Ertz, who's uh, off on maternity leave at the moment, and she anchors their midfield. You know, sort of screens that uh, screens the defence. They haven't really been able to find someone. Uh, to play that role the same way that she does. So I guess that's something they'll be trialling. Is that something that, you know, Yipka's looked at and, and you've talked about as a team as somewhere you can potentially hurt them? Yeah, I mean, we haven't really looked at the individuals as, um, in the in the US team just yet. We're kind of more so focusing on ourselves um, this tour, especially because um, the team looks so different. Um, but yeah, I mean, Juliet's is class. She's very clinical up front, especially off corners and um, mm. finishing. So I think, that is something we can use to our benefit, but knowing the US, they're, they're incredibly strong. They'll have someone, you know, equally as good being able to come through um, bench. But yeah, I think we'll just be able to, you know, play our own game, focus on ourselves and not to worry about them too much. One of the things that we have struggled with um, at the top end is scoring goals, right? Uh, you know, against the best teams, scoring goals is, is, is something that we've struggled with for a while. I know you've scored at a World Cup for New Zealand, uh, one of the one of the one of the few that has done so. So well done to you. But uh, how how's that been sort of talked about in camp, and, and what are you working on in camp to try and rectify that? Yeah, um, well, I mean, I, I scored at under seventeen World Cup, not quite a, a woman, uh, the national team, but. Um, never let the yeah. facts get in the way of a good story, Daisy. Yeah, yeah. You just leave that well, under seventeen bit out. Yeah, don't want to come across as a fraud. Um, but yes, no, I mean, yeah, we know we we haven't scored many goals, especially in the past few games, um, and that is something that we really need to work on. And we've we've got to look at everyone, you know, like the past few games. I think we've had defenders score goals as well, so we can't just rely on our forwards really at this point. Um, but yeah, I think. This game, we may not, I mean, according to the stats, we may not have the ball as much. So I think mm. when we do have the ball, we have to make the most of it. And we've been focusing a lot on, you know, attacking transition and being able, able to, you know, finish our chances because they may not come often in the game. Yeah, yeah, that's that's key. And I guess a lot of that comes down to pace, right? And it is a pretty young team that we, we've we got assembled in, in Wellington. I mean, we used to sort of page Satchel being, our, uh, being the greyhound up front, but we've got a few that can match you now. Yeah, yeah. No, we've got Speedy Page still in the yeah. squad. She'll be good. There's a few other speed, speedy girls. But, yeah, I mean, the thing about the U.S. is that they're athletes and they're football players, so they've got that advantage, you know. How about uh, your move to Denmark? Now, I'm going to absolutely butcher this because before the interview, I asked you to um, talk me through how to say the name, and I've already blanked it. But I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to say Habi uh, Kaur. Uh, is that right? That was that was that was better than your first try. All right, okay, um, good. <laughs> they say their H's as hook, so it's hook be Hook be Yeah, yeah. that's good. Hook be So hook be How did that move come about, and how are you settling into the Danish football environment? Yeah, so I was fortunate enough to have one of I played at um, UC Berkeley, and one of my ex teammates has been playing there the past three years. And I simply just reached out to her and I was like, hey, like, are you guys looking, happening to look for a midfielder? And she was like, yeah, we are. And then within three days, I get a call from the recruiter like, hey, we're really interested. We've seen all your footage. We want you on board. Cool. And I was like, wow, that, that happened so quick. Um, that happened beginning of last year and then happened to sign a two-year contract with them. Um, so that's, it's, been, it's been awesome. I 
absolutely love my team. I love the Danish culture, love Denmark. I'm just 45 minutes out of Copenhagen, which is one of, it's an unreal city. Um, so yeah, I've been very fortunate with my football experience, especially in Europe, as I know a lot of players haven't had that positive experience. Yeah, does your uh, former teammate from the US uh, get a get a cut? Are they officially your agent now? Yeah. You have to, you're, you're te- they have to give them ten percent. Is that how that works? No, not quite. No, she should give me the cut. <laughs> <laughs> um, Europe seems like you know it used to be the US was the place to play football for female athletes. Now it seems more and more that Europe is it's, it's following the men's game in that way. That Europe's the place to be. Right, they've got the Champions League, the money, mm-hmm. and they've got the WSL which is rapidly becoming the best women's league in the world. We've got a couple of Kiwis who have played over there. Is that a goal for you? Um, yeah. I mean, right now I'm just focusing on um, playing in Denmark and finishing out this these, this contract. Um, but obviously, yeah, the English league is in getting so – it's very uh, competitive right now. Mm. Um, and that could be something I look to in the future. I don't have a UK passport, which I know some other – Kiwis do, which is a benefit, but um, yeah, definitely an option moving forward. Mm. Yeah, I mean, one of the things I know you've been passionate about, you've talked about, is um, how much female athletes get paid versus what male athletes get paid and and, and trying to get some sort of uh, equality going on that front, um, mm-hmm. which is going to be a long road to hoe, obviously. But we, it looks like we're starting to see that. Um, and I look at, I, and I know she's at the top of the tree, but you look at Sam Kerr's latest contract, and mm-hmm. I know in this January transfer window, there have been two moves. Uh, between English clubs that have both been record uh, amounts in terms of um, transfer fees paid for female players as well. Do you, do, you, do you think it's on the right track? Oh, definitely. I think people are starting to realise, oh, this is fun to watch, you know, and the investment's mm. actually there. Um, and I mean, you know, it's not like we're going to ever, well, we, I mean, eventually equal men's pays. It's just so far right now. But I think closing that gap and increasing the women's pays is happening and we're seeing it slowly, but um, yeah, I think it's definitely something optimistic um, in the women's game. I mean, you see it in the women's world cup numbers compared to you know, every year it's growing. Um, so it's going to be super exciting when we host it because, you know, the numbers will be there. Well, exactly. Yeah. I think that's something that people in New Zealand maybe don't quite understand yet. I I, I was uh, looking at some numbers at uh, the last rug- men's rugby world cup, uh, yeah. had 700 million people watch it around the world. And the last women's FIFA World Cup had 1.1 billion watch yeah, it. Wow. So, you know, so the dum- the numbers are, are, are absolutely huge. And it's going to be massive to have that in our own backyard, Daisy. Hey, before oh. I let you go, can we can we get to know you a little bit better with five quick questions? Oh, sure. All right. All right, Daisy. I, I know Ella's sitting right there. Um, she might be able to do me a solid. Uh, if we grab your phone and flick into your Spotify playlist, what was the last thing you played? Oh, um. Oh God, I gotta be quick around here. The last thing I played, "As" by George Michael. Oh, old and school. Yeah. Old school. Is old is that school. is that your go to more old school than 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 uh, what what's on the charts? Um. Yes, I'm more of a throwback kind of gal. Okay. Okay. Good. Good. That that helps me because I often ask this question to young athletes, and the older I get, that you when you get older, you forget how much older you than people you are, and they give me an answer, and you go, "I have no idea what you just said to me." Uh, but so that's good. That's what I know. That's what I know, Daisy. Oh, uh, good. Yeah. Uh, when it comes to uh, football clubs, uh, do you have a team that, as you you were growing up, that you supported? Um. Yes, I'm a Man City fan. 
I will say that's credit to my dad, though. He's a Man City Pep Guardiola fan, and I've kind of taken that bandwagon. <laughs> How did you feel about the derby? Uh, not great. <laughs> yeah, okay. I, I'll just... Yeah. Oh, I didn't even see that. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes, yeah, it's definitely red over this 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 side of the Zoom call. Yeah, uh, yeah definitely red. Uh, what about you've got a day off, right? You don't have to train tomorrow. You don't have to play this weekend. You can you can have a cheat day. What's your What's your cheat day uh, look like? What's 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 the food look like? What are you getting up to? Oh, that's a great question. I always ask this. Always ask this question. Um, okay, so I'm gonna get up around nine and i'm gonna go for a mean brunch um i'm i'm celiac so i'm gluten-free which is a bit annoying um so i'll have to have a gluten-free brunch which would involve well i guess where am i in the world i don't know where i am you can be wherever you like i'll be in um auckland at home mm-hmm. i'll have my brekkie with my fam and then um i think i'd go for a savory breakfast sorry i'm going into too much detail <laughs> and then lunch <laughs> I'll get St. Piers, huge St. Piers fan. Mm-hmm. Um, and then what would I do in the day? Beach. I'm a big beach gal. Um, and then I would, I love a dance with some friends. So probably, you know, hit the bars maybe. Yeah. Okay. Over, of course, because I've got training the next day. Um, no, you don't, you don't have training the next day. You oh, I don't have training. Yeah. Well, maybe have a couple of drinks. Yeah. Um, and then... I would go to a really well. Actually, no. I'd go to a really nice restaurant, and then I'd go to the bars. Yeah, nice. yeah. Sounds like a big night. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it started so well. Night. I was like, man, that sounds too healthy for a cheat yeah, day. What's yeah. going on? Uh, what's your What's your poison? If you go to a bar, what are you ordering? Um. Oh. Okay. Uh, a Moscow Mule. Moscow Mule. Yeah. Yeah. Ginger, like the gin- ginger, ginger beer and vodka. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I'm aware, well aware of those. I, I do the same, but with Jamison's whiskey. Oh, I, don't know, okay. I don't know if they call that a Dublin mule. I'm not sure what they call that, but yeah, yeah, that's okay. that's another change up on it. All right, last question, the big one. This usually sums a few people. Who is the most famous person you've met? Ooh, I've actually had dinner with Eva Longoria. Oh wow, yeah, I know, I know who Eva Longoria is. Yeah. How did you manage that? Uh, one of my best friends from college, mum or step mum, is best friends with her. So I was in Saint San Antonio in um, Texas. At a Spurs game, and then had dinner with her after. That yeah. is that that wins the most famous person you've met. Yes, it does. It does. I think yes. we've had Jason Statham is the most other famous, okay. but I think Eva Longoria is probably more is. famous than Jason Statham. <laughs> well, there you go. There you go. <laughs> too easy. Oh, too great. easy. Yeah, good stuff, Daisy. How how was Eva? Uh, oh, she was great. She mm. had some good stories. Her partner was there as well he had some also really good stories awesome um but yeah it was quite intimate which was nice it was like seven of us oh, so wow. i got some good quality time good quality face time with eva longoria i didn't want to fangirl too much though <laughs> <laughs> fair enough fair enough okay, Daisy, cool. thanks very much for being such a good sport mate great to chat and best of luck for these two games coming up against uh the u.s uh wish you all the best and looking forward to uh, seeing you smash one in the back of the old net yeah oh, thanks ricardo appreciate it there's a storm across the valley, clouds are rolling in, the afternoon is heavy on your shoulders, there's a truck out on the four lane, and 
Ah, there you go. The extra time theme of songs with back in their title is finished with that one. Um, back home again. It's called cool, Not Sure It's By. Sounds like it should be uh, in the Yellowstone soundtrack, though, Ben. I think. I think it would fit in there quite well. Well, I thought it was fitting because that's what we're doing after the break. We're going back home. We're going back. Well, we are going back. That's true. We are going back home. So I thought home. it was a fitting end. We're going back home to watch some Australian Open. Tune in and uh, and listen to that. That's going to be good because that's what we are doing after uh, after 9 o'clock, I can tell you. That match between Murray and Berrettini is still going. They are in a tie break in the fifth set. Murray is up 5-1 in the tie break and he gets to serve next. So Andy Murray could be through. He was paying, I think, like 450 to win this. Come on, Sir Andy. Come on, Sir Andy, indeed. So, yeah, like plenty of uh, plenty more tennis coming your way. The Australian Open, uh, great tournament, one of my favourite times of the year, this time of year, with lots of tennis on for the Australian Open. We will be back tomorrow night. Uh, tomorrow night, of course, we'll be back ahead of the Black Caps taking on India as well. So we'll, we'll talk about that. We will have had the Football Ferns first game against the United States, the reigning world champions. We'll get some reaction to that. We'll talk some more NRL. We'll see what else is going on in the world of tennis as well. We'll do all of that from 7 o'clock tomorrow night right here on SCNZ on Extra Time.